All right, ladies, first off, thank you, Nicole. That was like the sweetest introduction. Um, I just, oh, I do hear it. I do. Um, but I'm okay if, if we can't fix it. So I first want to thank you guys for letting me come to this really special event. Like I walked in and whoever designed this like front door and all the little display, like it's so trendy and cute. I'm like, this is great. You guys are so blessed to have every Wednesday to be able to show up here and the leaders and the mom mentors. Um, that's special. So before I even get started, uh, I'm going to pray over us and over the word and um, pray that God uses me in some way to give you some nugget of information with the Holy Spirit. So if you guys could close your eyes and bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for today. God, I thank you for this opportunity to be with your daughters, Lord, that we're able to be in communion. And thank you for the women who paired that delicious a meal spread back there. I think I tried almost everything. God, thank you for the hands that prepared that. I thank you for the women who came here this morning. And I know it takes so much for us to get out of the door sometimes, God, but I thank you for their faithfulness and showing up, for the mom mentors, for the leaders who put this together, Lord. Um, I pray right now that you would anoint my voice, um, what I'm about to say, that you would speak through me, Lord. I'm one person. I share one message, God, but with your Holy Spirit, Lord, you can share 40 messages to these 40 different women or 50, because that's how you work. So I pray right now you anoint my voice, my words, this scripture, and we thank you, Lord, for this time that we even get to commune together, for those women in other countries and other places that would do anything to be able to worship and learn about you together. So we thank you, and we are in reverence of you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So before I get started, um, I will share a little bit about myself, and I was chatting with some of my girls at the table, and I love it because they were talking all about like college, and they had no idea, but I am a college counselor and professor, so I'm sitting here like geeking out like, oh, I love this, um, but I, I'm a mother of two little girls, um, one is five and one is three, my husband's a Los Angeles City firefighter, paramedic, engineer. He's been on the job for 13 years, so I'm alone a lot. Um, and I've been working at this college for the past seven years. And my background in working at this college has been as a counselor and professor, but I've worked with the marginalized. So mostly first-generation students like myself. So my mom was an immigrant from Mexico. No one in my family had gone to college, though I was the first one. So when I came back, to work, that was who I worked with in the demographic. Um, I've also worked with sex trafficking victims, um, abused women, and that translated into the president of the school asking me to develop a program for our foster youth. And I've never worked a day in my life with this demographic when I was asked this. And I was, again, this is a whole nother God story, but just asking him, like, are you sure you have the right person? And they're like, yes. Because there was people with 10 plus years working with, you know, social workers and foster youth, and yet they wanted me to develop it. So for the past five years, I have been failing forward, moving forward, and developing this program for foster youth, which are some of the most vulnerable students on campus, right? A lot of them have been trafficked. They've gone through a lot of abuse, um, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, in so many different ways. And then I'm supposed to be here as their adult <laughs> counselor professor and to help them 
learn and get excited to be an adult after being abused for 18 plus years, right? So it's heavy work, but I'm so blessed and so grateful that God's called me to do that work um, while also being a mama, right, and a wife. Now, I also, in my spare time, because I have so much of it, I also am a contributor for KKLA um, Christian Radio. I'm one of their um, younger speakers that comes on. I'm one of their reoccurring guests for over two years. And um, I speak really from the generation of millennials. I'm 31 years old, but I, I share from our perspective because they were praying about having a young woman come and share. And so I do my best to represent us. And I'm grateful because it's been a really fun way for me to share the word of God and to the next generation rising. It's just a little bit about me. But when Nicole had shared with me a couple months ago, she's like, Linz, I'd love for you to come to speak at this mom's group. And I thought, yes, but, you know, tell me when. And trying to get our schedules is just nuts. You know, I'm like, maybe like next 2020, you know. <laughs> and it's just so happened that this Wednesday had worked out, which I'm so grateful for. Um, but when she told me what you guys were studying, and she is so kind and generous, and she's like, Proverbs 31, you are the girl. And I'm like, oh, my God. Um, I have studied this. I have taught it. I love Proverbs 31. I mean, who does not want to be this woman? She's amazing. Um, but as Nicole gave me the verse, which we just so beautifully saw and read, I started laughing. And... <laughs> I just thought, wow, God, you're so funny because this is like the furthest I have felt from being this Proverbs 31 woman in the past like two months. I am just coming out of this small depression. Now, some of you are probably like, who brought this girl on stage? But I'm telling you, we will get there. Um, but it's been a really rough two months, really rough two months. And I thought, of course, Lord, you're going to have me speak of dignity and strength and laughing about the future in the midst of a very difficult time in my life. But that's just how he works. Um, I'm going to read to you guys Joyce Meyer's version of this scripture, which I really do like because it's a little different. She says, strength and dignity are her clothing and her position is strong and secure. And she smiles of the future knowing that she and her family are prepared. Now, this other one that's up here, the she has clothed us with strength and dignity, dignity and laughs at the fear of the future. I feel like if you have been a Christian more than like two months, um, and if you're new to this world, like, praise God. But if you're seasoned, you have seen this blasted on social media all the time. I'm sure there may be one girl in here who has it tattooed on her in some way. But it is like the go-to scripture, okay? It is like we are strong and dignified and we laugh at the future because we love Jesus, right? And it's a beautiful scripture because it's strong and it's sexy and it's powerful and we live in a culture right now that is like, I am woman, hear me roar. So this is super cool. It's super cool. And it's really easy to shout it out or to preach it out or to send it to a friend who's going through a tough time when your life's going good, right? When marriage is like, man, we're like in sync. Our sex life is good. My kids are doing great. They're thriving. We're going on date nights. I'm feeling good about my body. I mean, when life is going good, and maybe you're sitting there like, when does that happen? I haven't reached there, which is okay, because a lot of us are like, I'm still waiting for that. But it's easy for us when we're in like our peak states, when we're in such a great place, to look at these verses and think, I am, I am strong. I'm dignified. I'm going to my church groups. Everything is great. But it's hard. 
it's really hard to read this verse and to claim it when you're going through the mud and mire, okay? When you're going through a difficult time. When you get the phone call from a friend that she has terminal cancer, right? When you find out that your husband who's going on the business trips hasn't been going on the business trips, right? When your husband finds out that Carla in your phone is actually Carl, right? When, you, when you're in the thick of it, it, you're not laughing, right? This isn't laughable moments. These are not laughable moments. They're hard and they're difficult. And so where do we get this place where we can be strong and we can be dignified and laugh at the fear of the future? Not when things are going great and wonderful. But how do we get to that place of reverence? And what happens a lot of times is when we get to that place where we've lost our job or we've had our miscarriage or the in vitro of the IVF didn't happen again or it's the second affair, or whatever you're going through happens. Usually, we become a mess. And the crazy part about women and being we're messy is that we make it look sexy, and we make it look awesome, and our culture actually makes it look really cool. Because many of us, when we feel like a mess inside, we don't sit and sulk, because we're moms and we're wives, and we have to be put together. So all of a sudden, we're going to the container store and buying every container and going into our house and organizing every single part of our house and overindulging and making sure your kids are okay and everything's packed perfect and every morning breakfast is made and you're so busy in making sure that everything is so perfect around your house that you're not dealing with this mess that's inside of you. And the people on the outside are looking at you and saying, dang, she's strong, and she's dignified, and she's like has no care in the world, and she makes everything look so easy, but yet she's dying inside right now because she's going through heartache, but the way that her mess looks is by overcompensating and making sure she's that good housewife or that good mom, or maybe she's a workaholic, right? And I'm telling you guys, I've been here, where you work, 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 and you think you're gonna work, you're gonna work it out. You're gonna get over it. You're not gonna have, you're not gonna have the time to process what's going on. You're gonna work through it. Maybe those one or two glasses of wine that you're having weekly is now three to four nightly, right? But no one sees that. Maybe it's, oh my gosh, she's dropped 20 pounds. She looks amazing. Again, our culture, she's so sexy. She's beautiful. She's lost weight. When they don't know that you're so stressed out that you can't even eat, or maybe you're binge eating and throwing it up. This is the stuff that's in my office. These are the things, whether they're young women, older women, this is what's going on, right? But yet they're still showing up to church, and they're still showing up to Midweek, midweek mom's group or Bible studies, they're on the worship team, they come in smiling, and they look dignified, and they look strong, and they look like they're going to laugh at the future, because anything that comes their way, they can handle it. But that's not life, right? Why does this happen? Some people would say, well, we get into these spirals because, well, that person didn't have enough faith. 
They have limiting beliefs. You know, they're just not believing in God enough that when their marriage is going to hell and they feel like they're crippled and paralyzed and they can't move, but they're just going to, they're going to work it out. They're going to become obsessed with work and they're just, they're, you see them and they're excelling at their business, right? And you see someone, I've started a business and I'm promoting and I have a free car and I'm, you know, living the dream and you're seeing on the highlight reel of Instagram, yet you have no idea that behind that, that girl's so broken, And she's not full of strength and she's not dignified because she's running away. So why does this happen? Why is this place? That's what the question is. We don't ask why. It's in our human nature, you guys. We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. So life is going to happen. If you haven't gone through the affair, praise God. You're going to find someone in your life it's going to happen to. I've sat with more than five women in the past year and a half that they've either either gone out on their husband or their husband's gone out on them. And it is painful to watch them. But we're in a broken world. Do you know how many times I've sat with women in the past few years that have said, I can't get pregnant? And they're, they're craving, asking God, why? Why can't, I, why can't I conceive? What's wrong with me? What's broken in my body? I sit with these women and they're in the mud, in the mire, and it's hard, and they don't feel strong, and they don't feel dignified. But when we ask why, and we actually step away from the binging, right, or my problem, honestly, you guys, I will straight up watch Hallmark from like 12 p.m. to like 7 p.m. and just like I'm having a day, right? And I'm telling you it's okay to have a day or two to say I got, I need a vacation from life, and you tell your husband I need a minute. That's cool. I get that. But when you're habitually making these patterns of where you're not dealing with whatever is going traumatic in your life that's breaking you, you start coming into a place where you're not in reverence. I don't know the name of the woman who was up here at the beginning, but what's her name? Bev. Bev said it perfectly. You're in reverence. She's not laughing at the future, taunting like, oh my God, I know everything. God is so good no matter what happens. No. She's literally like, God, I know, I know that life is going to be thrown at me in ways that I can't imagine. When I find out my, my child has autism and I don't know what to do, I know that you're going to take care of me. I don't know how, but I know you will. That's that reverence, right? That's that, that loving, that humbleness. And you guys, I told you I'm in education, so... I'm going to get a little nerdy right now. Um, But this question of the why, we don't question ourselves when we go through these breaking points in our life, right? We want to outrun it. We want to organize it. We want to overcompensate, whatever that looks like, because we don't want to deal. But it's the women who ask why, who are willing to wake up in the morning and get on their knees and cry it out and say, God, why? I'm not laughing, I'm actually mad at you, and I know I shouldn't be because I know you're the all-knowing God, I know you died for me, I know that you are the best thing that I could ever cling to, but I'm mad at you, I'm mad, and he'll sit, he will sit there with you, and he will massage that heart that maybe you're not in a place where you're laughing at the future, but he's going to muster up that strength for you. He's going to help you be that dignified woman. 
that shows up to church, that shows up for friends, that shows up for your family, even when you really don't want to because you're feeling depressed or you're feeling overwhelmed. So I want you guys to think, and this is um, whether you went to college or in high school, but I want you guys to think because we have so many limiting beliefs of the Lord, right? We, we get into these places where we feel overwhelmed and we feel like we can outrun God or we feel like, you know, um, I'm just going to keep moving forward because that's what we do. I'm going to put a smile on my face. Um, instead of sitting at his feet and crying and saying, I'm at my end of myself and I can't do this. And I need you to help me believe again that you can. This is where it comes from a place where it's our mindset. It's our thoughts. It's how we think. It's how we learn. I'm an educator. I love learning. I don't think college is for everyone. And people, what the heck? And I tell students that in my office, why are you here? I want to get in the nursing program. Why? My parents say they make a lot of money. Get out of my office. <laughs> what are you doing, girl? Boy, whoever it is. I'm like, okay, let's, let's unpack this. Let me ask you questions. I'm not going to be the counselor who sits there or the professor who assigns things and says, okay, um, why do you want to be a, a nurse? Because it makes money. Okay, great. Let's look at this two-year plan. You want to be full-time or part-time? How many classes do you want to take? No. I'm going to stop what we're doing, and if that means we don't even get done this ed plan or whatever you want to do, I need to know that when you're showing up to school and getting your education, you have a reason behind what you are doing, that you understand that it's not about the money. Yes, it's good to plan, but it's about what is your call. And I sit here, you guys, I, do, I, live, I work at a secular school, and I will shut my door, and I will grab the hands of my students, and I will pray with them. Seven years, I have not had anyone turn me down. They think I'm crazy and kooky. I'm the crazy lady, but that's cool, right? I'll be crazy. But I've never had a student turn me down. And some are not even believers. But they're like, yeah, let's do it. And, of course, I'm sitting there while talking like, Holy Spirit, help me here. Is this, is this a time? Is it not? Um, but every meeting is so different. But I want you guys to think of a teacher. I want you to think of a teacher who really impacted you in school. It could be, I mean, if you remember from elementary school, junior high, or high school, or college, but a teacher that, no, it's not the cool teacher who was like, yeah, go ahead, cut class and get it, you know, go get a donut. No, I'm talking about the teacher who made you learn. The teacher who made you feel like, I don't even like this subject, but I'm so stinking excited to go to this professor or this class because they make me want to learn. And I guarantee you, if you guys have this person in your mind, and if you don't and you've never had that, I am so sorry because that is a travesty. Everyone in the education system should have a good teacher, even one. And if you do, you are blessed. But you have this teacher, and I guarantee 90% of you, if you think of this person, it is not a person who stood up in front of the class to lecture and had notes on the PowerPoint or the screen or whatever, and just talked through the book, told you to read three to four chapters a week, and every few weeks you guys would have a scantron, and you'd bubble in your right letters, and you'd regurgitate the information and memorize, and you'd go home, you'd pass your class, you'd get your A, and you'd move on. I guarantee that is not the professor who made the impact. I guarantee that it might even be a class you made have got a B or C in. I don't know. But you had a teacher who was willing to hear your voice 
and to hear your thoughts and make you critically think. And all of a sudden you're in a history class and you're learning, man, the reasons why right now you're so freaked out about this gender fluidity and boy and girls and girls are boys and we have no, like everything's so sensitive and we're in a time and age where they're gonna talk about masturbation and condoms and all this crazy crap in our education system. And we're thinking, where did this come from? This did not just come out of nowhere. You guys, look up, start reading, start learning, engage. This has come from years, decades. That when in World War I and World War II, we had women who had to go to work while the men were at war. So what happens? They got a taste of independence. They got a taste to see, man, I can do this. And I guarantee there's some women who hated it. Like, put me back in the kitchen, boy, which is cool, and I'm all about that. But there were some women who were like, this is amazing. I feel more than just a mom or a wife. And then when the wars were over and the 50s came and all of a sudden women had to put back on their aprons and their heels and vacuum and smile and act like everything's great. But yet they just experienced this insane movement where women were actually working. And now they have to be muted again. This is where all of the literature started coming out about, oh, genders and not even the United States, across the world. That gender's not really biological, it is something that is defined through culture, and all of this rebellion from women started coming out. And it could be good or bad. You guys get to decide that. But we birthed the 60s and 70s and 80s where it's sex, drugs, rock and roll, peace, everyone, divorce is rampant, HIV is born. So what just happened, these women got a taste of this exposure to life and then they didn't know how to harness it. They didn't have the teachers, they didn't have the mentors, the people to tell them, hey, let's work this out, let's figure this out, let's work this out. In fear and trembling with the Lord, <laughs> no. Start thinking, let's start putting our thinking caps on. And so they started recreating what does gender look like? And now we're sitting decades later and it's come through and now we're looking at little boys and girls who are so confused and the enemy has grabbed a full hold of it. But I know this because I had a history teacher who was freaking awesome. When you have a teacher who's willing to get to your level and talk to you about things that, that maybe you're like, I'm not really sure what they're talking about yet, but like, gosh, I feel it. I feel it. They're passionate. And I, I want to be passionate about what they're passionate about. And you're willing to step in to that tension with them and even question them. If it's a good professor or teacher, they will welcome that question. They will welcome that and say, yes. You're thinking, you're critically thinking. That's what college is about. Yet now college, I work at one. It's one of those liberal institutions and this leftist movement. And don't get me wrong, I'm like, I'm not trying to be political up here. But I work at an institution. And you can be everything but a Christian. You can be everything but a Republican. You can be everything but pro-choice. You can be everything. I mean, anything that is of the Bible, you can be. But if you stand for this, you're going to be ostracized. And that's a shame. And it's not now, okay, we just don't go to college, we're not going to talk about this. No, it's where we have to show up with our strength and dignity. And we have to show up clothed in him and be able to immerse ourselves in these spaces, not retract and not be full of fear, right? 
So this philosopher, I told you I'm going to get super nerdy here, but there's a philosopher that I love, and he's a Brazilian philosopher. He's dead. His name is Paulo Freire. He is a, he is a Portuguese man from Brazil. And over 100 years ago, or about 100, he pushed against the education system. And he sat here and he pushed against what was being taught in the schools, which is very much how it's, being, it's like right now. It was like a banking model, okay? When you go to a bank, you deposit money, right? You put in $500, you want $300 back, there's $200 back in the bank, you're good. There's nothing to think about, you know it's gonna work every time. And what he's saying is when you go into a classroom, it's as if the teacher opens up the student's head, deposits the information, they take a test, they memorize it, they regurgitate it out, and that's it, there's no transformation. The teacher is the oppressor, the student is the oppressed. Whatever the teacher says is Bible, and the student may never question what the teacher is teaching. And this was happening about 100 years ago. And he came in, and I love, I love me some rebellious spirits if it's in the right name, right? Like, yes, go and make things crazy. Go up and say this isn't right. Do it in the right way, though, right? And he came in and said, this is wrong. We are created for so much more. We're created to learn. We're created to think critically. These students are not oppressed. They are smart. They have curiosity. The number one trait that the most intellectual, um, most innovative and successful entrepreneurs, businessmen, people, um, like Oprah, you know, like these type of people that this caliber, the number one trait is curiosity. So when we see our little boys and our little girls, why mom, what? And you're we're like, oh my God, you ask why one more time and I'm, you know, I'm going to lose it. D calm, entertain it. That is the best thing that you can do is entertain that curiosity. That is something you do not want your children to lose and harness it in a way that will promote growth and in our kingdom realm, not in the world. Because you get too curious, you're going to be questioning things that the world wants you to question that you shouldn't be. So it's a fine line. But Paulo Freire said, we need to be curious. And I don't know his, I don't even know what he believed in. But to me, when I see that, it's we are created in the image of God. So whether you're a student, whether you're a kid, no matter what you are, if we are curious at little kids, that's why we're supposed to have the childlike faith. And we are supposed to not having those limiting beliefs. And we're supposed to be in a place where we question, God, why, when we're in the mess? Instead of saying, I'm just going to run from this and I'm going to organize the crap out of my house and I'm going to do this and that and the other. You're going to say, I'm going to stop and I'm going to ask you why. Why is this happening? Why? I, I host pop-up Bible studies every quarter, and the last few ones have been in Corona Del Mar, and we had the most amazing speakers come. And she had been, she'd gone through infidelity with her same husband almost three times, and she finally left. And she finally said, I felt like this was my time to leave. And she was gone for six weeks, and she found out she was pregnant. And she wanted nothing, and she screamed in her car, why, God, if there is one time where you can speak audibly, this is the time, why? And it was dead silent, dead silent. And she said, that should have rocked me. That should have made me go, I'm done with this, right? But she wrestled in Philippians, what, 12-2, I'm, I'm going to miss it, um, we're going to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and asking why. 
because you don't become dignified, you don't become strong, you don't laugh at the future without going through those valleys and asking why and dealing with the mud and mire. Because you know what that banking model that Paulo Freire was talking about? Man, we have it in our churches everywhere, anywhere and everywhere you walk into a church. You can show up to every church service. You can be part of the ministry team, whether it's healing waters or worship team or you're teaching on Sunday schools. I don't know. You're in Bible study midweek. You listen to every Christian podcast. You know the Bible. You have it down. You are the bank. You are putting everything positive into the account, right? So what's supposed to come out? God's spirit. But if you don't let the Holy Spirit work through you when you're at church and you're serving and you're out listening to those podcasts and you're doing it because you're trying to grow and not just to say, I'm going to mark this off. How many people have you guys, I know you've met those grumpy freaking Christians at church and you were like, why are you grumpy? And then you find out they're on one of the like best ministry teams and you were like, What? And that to me, I'm like, you're, you're the bank model, man. You're depositing all this good stuff, and it's in vain. It's a carnal flesh. You're doing it out of the works of flesh. Yet you have Susie over here who's so disheveled, and the friends are like, God, Susie needs prayer. But Susie is, yes, doing all she can to raise her three babies, and her husband and her are going through hell. But she's waking up every single morning and asking God why and crying out to why. And she's showing up to Bible studies every few weeks when she can and church when she can. But her heart is in the right place. And that podcast that she loves, she's trying to get at least once a week. So no, she doesn't have every box marked off. But she's critically thinking. She's in her Bible. She's trying to learn. She's meeting with a mentor and saying, why? Can you help me? I've never gone through this. So it's not, oh, and let, let me tell you, if you are Miss Susie Christian too and showing up and you're doing good, by all means, keep doing it. We need you. But it's when you're showing up and you're doing all these things in the name of Jesus, but you have the sour attitude. I'm, I'm pretty sure people are not saying that you're full of dignity and strength and thinking you of the Proverbs 31 woman, Right? If people are going to think of you of this Proverbs 31 woman with strength and dignity, sometimes that means for you to be able to say, I'm not okay. I need a break. And I can't show up for the next two months at Bible study because I'm a mess and I need to be home. And I actually do need to be in my PJs and watch Hallmark a little bit because I don't do that. Right? You have permission. But when you don't meet with the Lord to ask, what do you need from me? You'll make your own agenda. You'll fill it up. Because that's what we do. We fill it up. So there's one um, saying that I hear from women all the time. When they're going through the mud and mire, right? And they put this verse out. And we're clothed in strength and dignity. We laugh at the fear of the future. And you're just sitting there like, I feel nothing of that right now. I don't feel strong. I don't feel dignified. And then they, they give you this. Well, God wouldn't give you more than you can handle, girl. Oh, my cuss word. No, girl. He is going to get it. happens. Life happens. And there's nothing in the Bible that says that. You will not be tempted beyond. You will not be tempted. 
but life is going to hit you, and it is going to feel like a ton of bricks. Do you think Paul, when he was persecuting, he's in the prisons, he felt overwhelmed? When God told Moses to take his, his people, and all of a sudden he hits a sea. When God tells Abraham and Sarah, you guys are going to be pregnant, and Sarah laughs, and not this laugh, but like, yeah, right. I'm over my barren years. Like, the, these aren't laughable moments. These are moments where they had to cry, Why? What is going on, God? You people thought Noah was nuts. Like literally, like something is wrong with this dude. We haven't seen rain, and he's telling us he's building a boat because there's going to be a flood. He's psycho. People think he's crazy. And I'm sure he had moments saying, God, why am I doing this? I feel crazy. Right? Maybe you have a dream in your heart that God's put in your heart, and you're like, I'm past my prime. I have kids now. I get no, you're not crazy. Like, listen to what he's telling you. Be strong. Find your dignity in him. What is most dignified is when I meet a woman who can come up and be like, I'm not okay. I need prayer, sister. Like, I, I'm losing it a little bit. Than to have the girl who's like, all is well, all is well. And great if all is well. But guaranteed if you're living and you're, and you're, in, you're in the thick of it with the Lord, you're going to go through some valleys. It just happens, right? Because you know who's at us. And I sound so crazy, but I, like the enemy, right? Like he's at us. He's always trying to steal, kill, and destroy. So if you're doing stuff in God's name, you're going to be attacked. And you should be like, yes, Lord. And that is when you laugh because you're like, my Lord's got me. Jesus has me. But there are moments that are bigger, and we all have different thresholds. Because some of us, if we find out, okay, this whole school system, I have friends who are freaked out, and they're telling their husbands, or they're working overtime, so they can get their kids in private school because they're freaked about what's going to happen, and they're not laughing. Like, they are very much stressed out. And I am, on the other hand, laughing, like, God's got this, man. We, like, my children are going to be lights. They're going to be, they're going to do this. They're going to preach the word of God at public schools. Like, I am praying over that. And if the Lord tells me to pull them out, I will. But for now, that's where I'm at, you know. But there are other things in my life. There are other things in my life that some women would be like, girl, laugh it off. That's amazing. That put me in a deep, deep depression or a really bad space. And a lot of us, if we carry shame and we carry these places and these things, it's really hard to feel dignified. One of my closest girlfriends, we both married fire firemen, and we got married the same year. I love her so very much. And I got the phone call three years ago. My husband got the phone call with her husband on the other side crying that she was having an affair. And this was my friend. And it's been three years that I've walked with this woman and watched what God has done. And the saddest part is when she would go to Christian women or to people and they made her feel so undignified and so shameful when she was trying to get the healing, right? And I remember someone saying, yeah, you, you think you would never do that. You think you would never do that. It's so easy to judge. And I said, I love my husband. I believe in marriage. But I know that when we are in a dark space and if you are not connected to the Lord, that Satan prowls and we, any one of us can be susceptible to that. And you may think, nope, I love my boo-boo. Like, I love my husband. I have a Latin lover. He, I love him. He's delicious. But I'm not going to sit here on my soapbox and be like, I'd never do that. I'd never do that. I don't, 
I prayed, I know I wouldn't. I'm like, no, I wouldn't. But I also know Satan is conniving, and I've seen him do things in marriages that I thought I would have never thought. So that's why we have to be on guard. And when you have the women show up that are broken and are saying, I'm a mess, that you don't treat them like they're undignified. You speak this out to them, and you say you are full of dignity, and you do have strength, and we're going to get to a place where you're going to laugh at the future because God's in control, and you walk beside them. Because it's so easy for us to be on the other side with the judgy Janet eyes, right? And thinking, I'd never do that. So if we want to get to this place, you guys, we want to become this Proverbs 31 woman who is incredible and we all should be aspiring after. We got to let go a bit. We got to be able to be messy, You need to be able to learn and not be stagnant and just show up to church or just show up to whatever service or or just volunteer. And those are great things, but it's the one-on-one with the Lord. It's the transformation. What has God called you to do? He's called each and every one of you for a specific purpose. And it's not just to be a mom. It's not just to be a wife. He has called us, and we don't get to be lazy, you guys. If you're looking, our, our, our country is like, whoa, there's a lot of stuff going on. And it's not pretty, and it's not good for our kids. But instead of being fearful and retracting, and okay, let's, let's try to, we got to cover them, we, we're going to protect them, yes, do that. But it's our time to stand up. It's up to us. If you want to be this dignified woman and be strong, it goes beyond the church walls. And I don't know what that looks like for you. And sometimes it's, I'm not qualified. And that's a limiting belief. What I do today, I, had, I could not even have thought 10 years ago if someone said, you're going to be working with foster youth. And the stories and the tears and the things that I hear come out of no, no human, no child should have gone through. I would have thought, I didn't study, so I'm not a social worker. I've never done any of this. But that was my call. And I know it's, it's for a season And I will not always do this, but I was there to ignite a program. It's been there for five years. I will continue till God tells me to walk away. But it is a season where I needed to be. So what season are you in? And some of you may be like, I'm in the mom season. And I applaud you for that, snap, snap, because some of us have to be in a mom season where you have to just pour into the babies or pour into your marriage. But if you feel like, man, I think I got this. I think things are going good, and I feel a stirring in my soul that God has called me to do a little bit more. Do not ignore that. Start praying over this and saying, God, I want your strength. I want to be dignified in what I do, and I want to do it unto you. And maybe that even means letting go of some of the things that you are volunteering for because it's not in the name of the Lord. It's to keep yourself busy. Or it's because, well, I want to be part of that group, and I don't, I don't want to not be there, and I don't. Start asking God, what do you want my time to go to for you? You guys, it's not like fo- they said, join the foster, you know, help the foster youth kids, and I'm like, yes. Like, no. Like, I, I'm a girl's girl. If you, I'm a girl's girl through and through since I was a little girl. Like, I always came with a posse. I love chicks. Like, just always I have an affinity for you guys. I just love you. I'm a hugger, I'm like, let's be besties, always been like that, you know? And I would never understand when girls would be like, oh my God, girls are so much drama, I am not friends with girls. And I'm like, girl, you are a girl. <laughs> Wake up. And don't get me wrong, I remember being in high school, my sister and I, and there were girls who were mean to me, so it's not like I never, like, yes, mean, awful. 
But you know what me and my sister would do? Them girls need Jesus. <laughs> we would laugh it off. Like, we would laugh it off. But you know why? It's because I grew up in a home, thank God for my parents, they instilled so much confidence in the Lord that when people tried to, like, knock me or anything, I'd just be like, dude, that's their issue. They need some Jesus. <laughs> and I'd laugh it off. And so we have this, this new culture of children who feel bullied, and I'm not saying they're not, but there's, there's kids who are bullying because they're not getting the love at home or validity, but then you have the other kids who are crumbling because they're not being instilled with the love of God at home, right? It's a lot easier when someone is making fun of you to say, like, I know my Jesus and you sure need him, you know, like then to say, I'm going to absorb that because they said that. We are to rise up our children with godly confidence and protection over them. I have, I have a kindergartner and one little girl was mean to her yesterday and I just wanted to like, you know, you just got, I'm just going to pray it out. You know, you got to pray it out, but you pray that God and he, he has her and I know he has her, but we have to pray over our babies. So like I said, I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to land the plane in a minute. But I want you guys to know that when we are in the messes and we're in the mire, to make sure if you have one friend, one mentor, and I know you do because there are women in this room, you have mentor moms, which I think is the coolest thing ever, who care about you, who may be only 10, 15 years ahead of you. But I guarantee in mom life, those are like dog years. It's like they are way ahead of us, okay? Reach out. I've been in therapy on and off, and I, obviously I'm a counselor, so I love it. God is an almighty counselor, so like he's like the best. But there's nothing wrong with going to see someone. And let me tell you, have them biblically based, otherwise you're going to go cuckoo. But have someone biblically based to speak into your life. It's okay. There's no shame there. That is the smartest thing you can do. My husband and I have a couple's mentor. We've been to counseling. Like, and I'm proud of that. Like, we, I want a long marriage, and I want it to last. And there is no shame behind that. But I will tell you guys, I told you I was coming out of this crazy depression. And I tell you guys that because there's a whole decade. I told you guys I grew up in an incredible household. But my 20s were crap. And if I could use another word, I would. But they, they were crap. They were, it was awful. And I went in and out of depression Major things happened in my family's life, and it was tough, and I became very insecure, and I became everything that I wasn't as a kid, so secure and confident, I, I just, I was not okay. Thank God I met my husband when I was 13, okay? And when he met me, he said, I'm going to marry you. And I thought, you crazy. And now who's crazy? But he literally told me, he was older than me, he's like, I'm going to marry you. And I'm like, you're such a weirdo, you know, get away. But in high school, we dated a little bit on and off, but I never took guys seriously, which I'm going to pray over my girls for that. I just did my cheer and dance and, like, Christian club and was just happy-go-lucky, which I'm like, please, Lord, do that for my girls. Um, but I didn't date seriously till after high school. And when we found each other again when I was 22, he saw me not as this, like, young, youthful, vibrant, innocent girl. I was 22 and I was a mess, and it wasn't good, and he just wanted to love and take care of me. He's always been like that with me, like, just like, I, he's just always loved me, and I am so blessed I can say that, but he's just, he's been a constant in my life, and I've been not good to him at times, <laughs> but by 22, I was ready to like, okay, let's commit. Well, I wasn't in a good place. We ended up moving in together, 
and he'd been working hard to buy a house when he should have had like a bachelor pad and enjoyed his life. And here came along Lindsay and I had to move in. And that's a whole nother story that I would just love to preach to our next generation, do not do that. But we moved together and it was hell and it was tough. And we got engaged, right? And I knew he loved me, but it, it, was, it wasn't good. Um, we got engaged and we started planning our wedding and we got pregnant a couple months before our wedding and I miscarried. And then a couple months after that, which was like 10 weeks before our wedding, I got pregnant again. And I was in my master's program. And my whole life, I've always wanted to be a wife. Like, I could not wait. Like, I can't wait to finally have sex. I can't wait to, like, come home and cook for my husband. Like, I just thought of, like, being a wife was going to be the coolest thing. You know, no one really prepares you, which I feel like we need to, like, let, which is great. Marriage is great, but it comes with a lot of responsibility. I've always thought, I'll be a mom. I'm sure I'll be a mom. But it was never, I was never that girl. And I talked to girls, like, I've been dreaming to be a mom. Like, I just was like, so now I'm pregnant, and I'm 25 years old, and I'm going through my master's program, and my husband tells me, you can just, because we get married, you can just, like, stay at home. Like, don't even worry about finishing your master's. And I am like, the heck with you. Like, I am almost done. I have a month left. I will be darned if I don't finish this. And so I gave birth December 20th over break. And three weeks later, after my cesarean, I hobbled full-time back to school to finish. And two weeks later, when I was only five weeks postpartum, was back at work hustling through full-time and going back to work full-time and having a baby and all of that. Because I had a vision and I had to be this counselor professor. I had to get the job and I had my eyes on the prize and no one was going to tell me different. And so I went for it. And at the expense of time with my baby and my husband, and there's a lot there. But there's a whole lot in these past five years that's happened, which another baby came along. And we had our second child. And we moved into the house of my dreams two miles up from my best friend. We'd work out in the morning. Everything seemed to go great until I had a blood clot that traveled all the way to my clavicle. And if it would have gone to my brain or to my lungs, I could have died or had a stroke. And this happened after my second baby. This also was happening because I was so stressed out at work because I finally got the full-time job. And so I was working full-time trying to get tenured, and it's a four-year process. And I have my babies at home. And then I also have a side business because, of course, I have a side business, and I'm generating income there. And then I'm also on the radio. And then I'm also doing Bible studies. And I'm the Proverbs 31 poster child, and I'm dying inside. And my marriage is dying inside. And my husband's not okay. And my husband's trying to promote. And we have just, it's not a good situation. And he finally tells me, we got to move. We got to move. I can't, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't like this house. All this crazy spiritual warfare stuff. Um, and so we move. And I'm angry at him for moving me, right? So we go to this new house. And again, I'm on the hustle. I am keep going. I'm having to inject um, uh, Lovenox into my stomach, which I faint at the side of needles, so this was not good, into my stomach because I was on uh, blood thinners. And I had to do this for three months and then another nine months. And every week I have to go to the hospital to test me to make sure I was okay. On top of working full time, I was losing it. And I finally ended up in the fetal position with my husband as I'm bawling my eyes out. 
and he is like, what is going on? And I broke down. Like, I finally couldn't outrun some of this deep-rooted stuff that I I haven't talked to you guys about, but deep-rooted stuff that I thought I dealt with in counseling, but deep stuff. And he sat there with me like a freaking baby held me. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I'm done. I'm not okay. And he's like, okay, like, you act like everything's great. And you show up and you do Bible studies. And he's like, what is going on? And I'm like, I'm not okay in our marriage. I'm not okay at work. I'm not okay. And I just let it out. And so that's when we got into our mentors and we started showing up with our mentors and started praying over our marriage and saying, I need help because I'm drowning. And then my husband said, okay, we're going to give your business six months and if X, Y, and Z doesn't happen, which I need that because I'm like a full throttle, like we're going to keep going and writing it out. Like I need someone to be like, pull back, lens. And he said, in six months, if these things don't happen, we're going to let go of it because you're about to lose it. And a year ago, in October, is when those things that we had prayed about were not happening. And so I let go of my business. And my, I mean, my ego. You know, I had like an Instagram with my business partner for 100,000 followers. And we were just like, yeah, girl, we got boss babes. Like, oh, and I was a mess inside. But I let it go because I knew I had to. And I said, okay, God, okay. I'm going to just continue with my pop-up Bible studies, continue with the radio, focus on my family and my career. And I continued to do that. And so in January of this year, God said, I want you to play. I want you to enjoy everything you've worked for, Lindsay. Just play and have fun and don't commit. And so we did that. I don't know how many concerts. I like saw Casey Musgraves twice this year. Like my, my, we just like went everywhere. We just went and we're like, let's go and have fun and have date night. And, and we just had the best time. We, we'd saved money to take our kids to Disney Alani, which we were like, I don't know how that happened, but it was like a blessing. But we went and we're just like, life is good. Let's enjoy. And these seven years I worked hard at my college, I finally got tenured, which is like a big deal in like the world of like collegiate life. Like you are now, you cannot be fired, right? So it's, I've, we've come into our own. And this whole time, I'm half Mexican. My husband's full Mexican. So to only have two kids is like blasphemy. And everyone has four to five. And so we keep getting asked the question like, you going to have more kids? And I'm like, no, and I don't want any more. Like, I'm done. I don't, like, I'm not the kid person. Like, I love my babies, but, like, I'm not the one who wants all these kids. And then my sister-in-law has five boys, and she's like, come on, what's one more? I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so I'm sitting here, and, like, I'm, my husband, I want, I said, if you spill it in your heart, God's put it in your heart, like, I'll have another baby. And he's like, wow, that sounds so appealing. <laughs> like, like, okay. And he's just like, um, not really. He's like, I mean, there's a part of me. He's but knowing like what you went through with the blood clots and all of that and the trauma and breastfeeding and there's so much that you, your body goes through. He's like, I I'm good. And then we went to Hawaii and then he's like, I'm really good, man. Our kids are potty trained. Like this is the best. They can talk to us. We're like in the green and I'm like, baby is on board. So we're looking at vasectomies. Like it's time to snip, snip. Let's go. And I'm ready. Like I, I'm not a second, you know, in my thoughts that I want anything. So in August, I wake up in the middle of the night 
middle of the night, my husband's at work. And again, and I know it's hard because in Christianese terms we say this and we throw this around, but God very much spoke to me in no non-audible voice, you are pregnant. And I hysterically cried and called my husband at three in the morning. And he thought something obviously was really wrong. And he's like, you're crazy. You're being so drama right now. You're not pregnant. We've had scares. You're fine. And I'm like, no, I'm pregnant. I know I'm pregnant. And I, he just, he's not listening. He's like, um, you're fine. We're fine. You know. And I'm in like a fog because I just knew. And so finally, a week and a half later, when we were able to take like the pre-pregnancy like pregnancy test as early as you can, I go and pick him up because we had to get some service on the car, and he gets into the, the passenger seat, and I throw him the pregnancy test. And he looks at it, and like a typical guy, sorry, no offense, I love men. Oh, so we're good, right? No, we're not good. Look at the line. He's like, but babe, it's so faint. And I'm like, oh, my God. It, the fact that I even have a line there is insane because I'm so freaking early. I'm pregnant. And he's like, okay okay, this is a blessing. And I'm like, screw your blessing, right? Like he's Mr. like ecstatic. He's so happy. And I'm over here like dying, right? Like, are you kidding me? And then I go through this deep mourning and I feel awful because I have friends who I've sat with, who I've cried with, who I've prayed over. This is all they want. All they want. I've watched them go through miscarriages, IVFs that didn't go well. Like, and here I am, like a freaking jerk, crying because I'm getting a third kid. But I'm not going to slap on the dignity and strength and show up to church and smile and act like I'm okay. I'm supposed to be happy about this. I didn't. I just let myself be depressed. And I know it's weird, but it felt good to allow myself to be sad. And whether I knew you closely, like you're someone of a best friend or you are an acquaintance, if I ran into you in the past 10 weeks, the first thing I would tell you is, I'm pregnant. And people were like baffled. And it was like, I just had to say it out loud to make sure like, oh, this is happening. I literally ran into my neighbor who I've talked to like three times. Hi, Lindsay, how's your morning? Good, I'm pregnant. Oh, how f you know, look at how far along, I'm three weeks. Like, who says that? Like, that's, you don't say that. But I, I would just come out. Like, I don't even care. Like, Chris, babe is like, uh, are you sure? I don't, babe, shut up. I, just let me, I'm going to tell whoever I want. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I've just been saying it and just saying it and saying it and waking up. And normally I'm like a researcher and studying the Bible. And I would just sit there and cry and I would pray and I would journal. And I would just be like, I'm mad. I'm really mad because you told me to have fun this year. And I thought it was because you were going to offer me like this really cool deal because <laughs> I gave up my business. And so I thought you were going to offer like this really cool thing that was like in my mind. And it's a freaking baby. And again, there's Betty Christian who's like, babies are a blessing. And I love that. But I don't feel that. Right? I feel like, oh, my God, my body and my breastfeeding, and my, like, oh, I have to get cut again, and I'm thinking of all these things, and I, of course, I've worked with these amazing group of women in Texas called 
Vanessa, embrace grace, pregnant brain, sorry. Embrace grace. And they're a pro-love movement helping unplanned pregnancies and women and helping them have other options other than abortion. And I've, they've come out to our pop-up Bible studies. We've made love boxes, and I was going to bring one today. I clearly forgot. And they come with onesies, and they come with a letter handwritten from one of us, whoever is, like, volunteering, and a book about motherhood and all these things because what happens is when women are thinking of having abortion and they get a flyer, what happens? Like, they throw it away. They don't, whatever. But if you have a box, right, a box that makes it real with a onesie, and praying and having encouragement. You don't even have to keep, like, give it for adoption, whatever, but giving these different options. And so I've loved on these women. I'm so pro-love. I'm so, I just love life. I will fight for it to the death. I am, like, proud of it. Um, and so I have been very much involved. And lo and behold, they send me a freaking love box a couple weeks ago. And I open it. And again, I'm, this is in my, like, deep sorrow of, like, I'm not okay. And I open up the card. And I kept feeling, what I kept telling the Lord is, like, I feel like you're taking so much from me right now. Like, what else do you want? Like, you just, I keep giving up everything for you. And what am I supposed to do? And this card I opened up, and it, they said, Lindsay, you're being promoted. Like, God trusts you with your baby so much that you're getting promoted with another life. And, of course, I start crying because I'm hormonal. But it was, like, the last thing that I thought of when I got pregnant, right? Like, promoted? Okay. No. I am like, this is freaking not today, Satan, one of the girls said today. Like, that's what I felt like. Like, I am not pregnant. But God's like, I'm here with you, and you can keep asking why. And I'm going to keep working out my salvation through trembling and fear and in reverence. Because I don't stinking understand what you're doing here but I'm going to trust it. And so obviously, you guys, babies are a huge blessing. I'm beyond thankful. Um, I finally have come to a place of like, okay, let me start looking at like nurseries. or You know, like I'm starting to even like open up my mind to talking about it with my husband and being happy. We told our girls. Um, but we found out because my husband, of course, is like, maybe I'm going to get my boy. And I'm like... <laughs> We better get another girl because they get him a girl's girl, right? And um, we did like our DNA thing last weekend. I'm having a girl. So I'm super excited. And that to me was like, God, just like I got you. Like I've created you for women. I've created you to rise up these girls. And I know you don't know who this little human's coming into your life. But she's going to be something, right? So I don't know what you guys are going through, and I know it's easy to look at these scriptures and think, and glamorize them, right? And think like Proverbs 31, man, she's got it together. But know that that woman who is in the field and in the merchants, and she's selling, and she's wearing her purple, and she's all, and I'm like, I'm Miss Thang. I like to like, I feel good. And I know Proverbs 31 is Miss Thang, because she's wearing her purple, and she's a good wife, and she's cooking. She, I mean, she is it, right? And so I want to be that, but we're not always that. And I want to encourage you guys, if you're not in a place where you're feeling strong and dignified and there are areas in your life that you're not laughing about the future, it's hard to really ask God why and say why. Why am I 
this affair? Why are our finances? Why are we going to lose our house? Why is my kid acting up like this? Why is my kid? I don't know what it is. And if you're sitting here and you're in your place, praise God. Praise God. But be there for your sister, okay? Because there is someone in your circle who's not okay. And she may mask it with organizing her house or however she does it. But be prayerful to ask God of how you can serve those women who are in the mud and mire, okay? So I'm going to ask you guys just to close your eyes and bow with me, and we're going to pray. Um, Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for these women. I thank you for their laughter today. I thank you for them um, receiving my honesty, and it's not perfect. My story isn't perfect. Um, none of us are. God, but I ask that you would be with each of these women who have babies in their hands or they get a break for this hour. <laughs> um, God, that you would search their hearts and they would be willing to be vulnerable with you, God. And if they don't have a woman in their life that they feel safe with, that you would give them someone and remind them that there are people in this world to walk alongside you through the mud and through the mire, God, and that you have called us to be dignified. You have called us to be women of strength. You have called us to be the women that laugh humbly to say, my God has this. But that doesn't come overnight, and it doesn't come from showing up every Sunday that those are great things, but it comes from the one-on-one -on -one relationship with you, God. So I pray for these women to peel back their layers, to be honest, and to share with you in the spaces and the places they need help. If there are women in this room who do, who are, they're not being faithful right now, God. There are women who may be, oh, this is just a friend, when really they're having thoughts that aren't just friendly, God, and it happens. Lord, that they would give that to you, that they would start talking to someone about you, about this, and not feel the shame. If there's women in here who just found out, or maybe they've been going through an affair, or maybe they're going through financial hardship, God, or depression, Lord, maybe they have something in their family that has been crippling and they're ready to say, I've had enough. I want to break this generational sin in the name of Jesus. God, that they would be awoke. Wake them up, Lord, and these women and what they have, you have called each of them to do. You've given them mind, body, soul, God, that we would use these to glorify you, Jesus. That this Proverbs 31 woman was created holistically to represent you, not one-dimensionally, but to be multifaceted. May we be multifaceted women serving you, God. And in areas we need to step down or step away to check ourselves, that we give ourselves the permission to do so, God. I pray for these babies that are in the room right now, whether they're being carried in a stomach or they are out and being held or they're in the child care, Lord. You would rise this next generation, Lord, to be the preachers, teachers, daughters, and sons of you, that they would change this world, God. That you would bring promises to this world to show that you are good. And give us the wisdom as women, as wives, as mothers, Lord to walk in the dignity and strength and not to limit our beliefs in our human carnal flesh, Lord. I lift these things in your blessed name. Amen.